Welcome to the Heroes of Reality podcast, a podcast about the game of life and the hero's journey we all experience. Let's jump in with our host, Dylan Watkins, as he introduces today's guest. Welcome, Young Adventures. Dylan here. On today's podcast, I have Sam Shames. He's the co-founder and chief operating officer of Ember Labs, the first thermal wellness company and maker of the Wave Bracelet. I'm excited to talk to him about biofeedback and all of that. So without any further ado, I'd like to bring on Sam Shames. Sam, it is great to actually connect and hear your voice, man. Thanks for popping on. My pleasure. Thanks for bearing with me. And again, really happy to be here. You know, technology, it's one of those things that it's, we live with it and we love it, but sometimes it does whatever it wants to do and it becomes the greatest enemy. So it's, you know, as you know, te technology is, it's a, it's a fickle mistress. So, so uh, you know, who even knows how it works too. There's so much <laughs> going on between how do you actually get sound in my voice here in Boston to appear to people all over the world. Yeah. Is that where you're at right now? Are you in Boston? Is that I am. Oh man. I haven't been in Boston since uh, I was doing a virtual reality hackathon for MIT and I was a Californian born and bred and I spent the first time ever in Boston in January um, and I, I, I learned, I, I learned that jeans don't cut it. That's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, Californians when they come to Boston, if it's in the winter, they're like, well, get me out of here. <laughs> yeah. Run away. Yeah, it was a it was a whole experience, but cool people, wickedly smart, cold, uh, uh, intellectual, funny. They know how to party. Um, so you know, I I I give it up to you guys. Uh, an awesome breed. Are you? Do you? Were you born in Boston, or is that? I was, yeah. So I grew up in the the suburbs outside of Boston, and then went to MIT for my undergrad and um, and stayed. So it didn't go very far, but uh, did manage to at least live in Spain for for one summer. But otherwise, oh, wow. very much a, a Massachusetts native. That is so cool. So when is that uh, when you we'll touch on Spain a little bit later, but when you went to MIT, is that how you discovered um, um, the like the thermal wellness and all that? What was your what was your journey from MIT to actually founding Ember Labs? Yeah, so I came to MIT like many folks, having no idea what I wanted to do with my life. Um, I decided to study material science and engineering as my major because I thought, you know, everything is made of stuff. So that feels like a, a good foundation. You know, I could go in many places. And, and while I was there, I really became very interested in, uh, you know, sustainability and, and clean technology. So things like batteries, solar panels, there's a lot of material science there. Um, so got involved in some research there as an undergrad and actually while working, um, for a professor in his lab, I met the folks who'd become my co-founders, Matt and David. They were grad students pursuing PhDs. And you know, I met them and I said, wow, you know, the, they're the type of people who you meet and you're like, this person's really smart, but they're also just really kind and good-hearted. It's the type of person you meet and you're like, wow, I would wanna spend more time with them. Yeah. So, you know, that was kind of got to know them a little bit. And then the summer going into my senior year, I pitched them on doing this prototyping contest together. Uh, every summer, the material science department does a contest to kind of get people, you know, hacking away and really trying to make something. And there's a $10,000 grand prize. So we said, hey, like, if we win $10,000, that would be amazing. Yeah. Um, so we came, we, you know, we decided to do it. We didn't have an idea. We didn't have a grand plan. We just said this is going to be a fun way to spend some time this summer. 
Uh, we came up with the idea from being too cold in an over-air-conditioned lab and having to repeatedly put on sweatshirts to stay comfortable. And um, we said, there's got to be a better way. Why can't I heat and cool myself directly? Mm. Um, so that was kind of the, the aha moment was, oh, what if we could make a wearable that could heat and cool? We, we built our first prototypes and we were just amazed at how actually well it worked. You know, we didn't expect that that would be a particularly effective thing or that it would work well, but it really made us feel good. Mm -hmm. um, and we ended up winning the contest and the idea went completely viral. We got emails from people all over the world who said, um, you know, temperature is the biggest pain point in my life. And when can I buy this? And as we read those emails, we just said, wow, we have to see if we can, we can sell something. And, um, you know, I had sort of, I was applying to grad school at the time. It was the fall of my senior year. I still didn't really know what I wanted to do. I knew I didn't want to, you know, work for a big company or that wasn't interesting. And so sort of, I think in the back of my mind, the idea of entrepreneurship had always sort of been there. You know, my grandma started her own business actually in the, in the 60s. And um, so when this kind of opportunity came, I said, hey, absolutely count me in. And uh, we in incorporated the business in 2014 and, and here we are uh, seven plus years later. It's a, that's a lifetime in technology. It's and been a while, yeah. Quite, quite an evolution. With can you walk me through just a little bit of how the the wave bracelet works and like how does someone use it like a use case like give me a little mental model walkthrough of it sure so let's start with you know when the first problem we had was i'm too hot or too cold in an, in an office uh or in a lab space you know yeah. what the wave does is you put it on your wrist and with the push of a button you can start cooling this spot so it's literally going to use thermal energy it's going to get cold on this spot and it turns out that that application of temperature in just a local space can impact how you feel overall. So that's comfort. Um, what we're really doing at a technology level is we're delivering temperature to the skin as a therapy to help balance the nervous system. So, you know, when you're too hot or too cold, your thermoregulatory system is a little bit out of balance. It's not necessarily that your core body temperatures changed, but a element of your nervous system is not in balance with the rest. And it turns out there's a number of other use cases where kind of the same thing is issue occurring. So the biggest one and where we've gotten the most traction is people experiencing hot flashes. So as a side effect of menopause, but also as a side effect of cancer and uh, other medical conditions. Um, mm. Even people who have trouble falling asleep, that and oftentimes is related to an overactive sympathetic nervous system. Uh, people who are experiencing stress and anxiety. So there turn out to be a whole bunch of use cases where the problem at its core is the overactive nervous system and temperature applying hot and cold to the skin can be a solution. Mm. And, and so that's what you have on your wrist there is that you held it up for a second as little, I mean, I got, I got a bunch of beads. You got, uh, okay. This is an oh, ember wave, yeah. Yeah, ember wave, beautiful. And so, and so primarily it, 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 it does local cooling right and it allows you to kind of readjust your autonomic nervous system is that what we got going on there yeah so it actually it warms as well so it really uh -huh. it applies all types of thermal energy so hot and cold it's personalizable so you can control you know like you would a shower how warm or cold you want it and yeah. in applying that sensation it's uh basically helping your body to balance the nervous system by using temperature as a signal to the brain oh man so i i'm i'm smiling because um my, uh, I, I was, I was, I was in bed with my fiance last night, and she was just complaining because I had the fan on, and she's like, and then I 
but it's too cold. But you want the fan on. And I put on my hand, guess what? And I got to put it back in. And I'm like this. Like, We're very about. familiar with those thermostat wars. Yeah, you know, we've yeah. uh, one of the things we learned early on is, is temperature is personal because, you know, people think of it as a temperature is 98.6 and they're, they're not wrong. You know, temperature is what a thermometer measures. It's a, this objective number. But temperature is also a subjective experience mm. because a 70 degree room could feel completely comfortable for you or way too hot or way too cold for your fiance. And so mm. it's really important to, um, you know, realize that until everyone has the ability to control their thermal experience, there's always going to be those, uh, you know, thermostat wars like you're experiencing. Yeah. It's like, it's the, uh, haptic equivalent of putting in your headphones so yep. yeah so you go through it and it's like you do you, do you i do me you put on each other headphones there, there'll be no thermal wars as you call it um what have you seen in terms of like uh like clinical data or any type of supporting things around the effectiveness for well let's first dive into sleep uh, have you have you done like um case studies on that have you seen how does it help is there any numbers of metrics you can you can add uh quantitatively to the qualitative reports yeah, that's a great question. So uh, my co-founders and I being mm -hmm. a team of, you know, MIT scientists, you know, mm -hmm. that quantitative data was really important. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, we were very fortunate to feel like we had had options and we said, hey, if we're going to really pursue this, we want to make sure there's some rigorous science here and this isn't yeah. just a placebo effect. So the first thing we did, uh, you know, when we started the company was we dove into the scientific literature and we found all this data supporting the general thesis of, you know, temperature applied to the skin can help. Um, you know, then as we launched this product, we were able to start doing trials with our own product. So, you know, what we have is public today is work we did in 2019 that was uh, in collaboration with Johnson & Johnson. We looked at the product's ability to help with sleep in uh, menopausal women uh, experiencing mm -hmm. night sweats. And we found statistically significant results, including a 168% improvement in hot flash control, uh, 28%, I think, reduction in, uh, in sleep uh, or in the insomnia severity index. Um, and that was published in Behavioral Sleep Medicine. We've also presented work at the annual meeting of the North American Menopause Society. And then to complement the clinical trials, we have just an incredible body of, of real world evidence. So we have with Ember Wave uh, a mobile app where you can customize the heating and cooling. And we've created preset modes so we have a fall asleep mode and we have a, hot, a all night mode. And so we can see on our back end and we have the customer testimonials that tell us, wow, like this is really, you know, people are using these modes and you can read on our website, it makes a huge difference. So it's a really nice combination of, you know, just the customer testimonials and the qualitative yeah. feedback. And as you say, the, the clinical data, which we've, we've gathered, you know, we have a couple publications, but we're continuing to, to invest in that as well. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I figured being from MIT, you'd, you'd have some sort of uh, science data to support it. I was uh, I was curious about also, I mean, one of the one of my favorite health tools that I have is the Apple Watch because it also speaks to a lot of other devices and things. Are you, do you have that in, is there an integration in that? Is there a way to like pull data fast? I know, I know, you know, there's applications like the Pelo app and other things that, that track your sleeping patterns through the Apple Watch. Do you have anything that you have on the roadmaps with integrating into the Apple Watch and, and any of that, the whole um, Apple ecosystem? So 
We are definitely looking into that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I can't comment on what's on our, our roadmap, except to say that- uh, I want to get charts. Tell me what's going on. No, it's okay. <laughs> looking, looking into, you know, ways to continue to integrate with the other wellness tools that our customers are using and also kind of figure out how we can use that data to make our products better while, of course, respecting the individual's privacy is, is definitely something we're, we're hearing. Because ultimately, you know, we think of ourselves as a, a thermal wellness technology company, but really we think of our positioning as high tech and high touch. And so we take a lot of care in listening to our customers. And, you know, one of the things we've heard repeatedly is, hey, how can you help me use both the data that, you know, I'm generating from when I use the app to better understand my health and then also help, can you connect the dots between, you know, how many steps I'm taking or things like that. And that's what I'm really curious about that the, the uh for good or for ill, I mean, Apple does a really good job at, at kind of like getting the data all shared around in the environment to really kind of give you stacking benefits. And so I would just imagine, because I know I use I use my Pillow app and other apps and I use my Apple Watch here to be able to kind of see what's going on and see how did my sleep patterns, sort of things like that. And I would imagine if you had that type of data provided to the wave, you would understand that you could auto adjust certain types of heat and what, what kind of, you know, am I a hot body versus cold body? Do I want things? And I was just, it was more of a, it was more of a curiosity thing, but again, no need to uh, push into um, areas that are proprietary and that stuff. It's more of a, 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 a current problem I'm facing and a, a top of mind thing. I'm like, Hmm, like, I wonder how that works. So that's, that's great. Um, what, what, like in terms of your journey, uh in the last seven years and to create this i mean i think some people would hear it and be like oh wow they're just like an overnight success they had an idea and then they built the thing and <laughs> then they got all their money and, and then they're that's why i should do a startup i should do a startup because that's all i need to do i just go to a hackathon and I make something i get a bunch of money and then i'm in business can you please help clarify some of the struggles and what i would call threshold guardians that you've gone against as you try to create this company yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's been a long time. I mean, we, uh, so we turned, the company incorporation turned seven uh, on February 28th. That's uh, over 2,500 days. It's a lot of days. Um, and my joke is that, you know, when we started, I couldn't grow a beard. But it's been the furthest thing from an overnight success. I think, you know, what what is looking back, the kind of thresholds to get to where we were now is when we started, we were first-time entrepreneurs, right? So we were scientists and engineers. We had never started a company, had no business experience. So there's risk on the team. We were doing a completely new technology saying, okay, we don't even know if you can make this technology. The science also needed to be proven. And then on top of that, there was the market risk, right? So we said, okay, there was, we have no idea if this team can execute. We, even if they say they can execute, you know, like can the, does this technology actually going to meet the requirements? even if it does, is the rigorous science behind it that makes it effective. And then even if you get all that, like, will people buy it? So we had to kind of prove all of those in sort of a, you know, the iterative fashion to really get to the point where, you know, we could start to get the support we needed. Um, you know, we were in hindsight, incredibly naive. We thought after we won the contest in 2013, that we would be six months away from launching a product when, you know, what we won the contest with was basically an Arduino, you know, with wires sticking everywhere. It wasn't even wearable. Um, <laughs> And then if you'd asked us six months later, we also thought, you know, we still would have said it's six months to launch. We also thought at that time that, you know, by 2014, we said, okay, we're ready to raise a million dollars when, you know, we didn't get even close to raising that amount of money until 2017. 
um, what we ended up having to do was basically, uh, you know, prove theirs, do some mark, do the primary market research to figure out who our customer would be. Then we needed to prove that the product would work for that customer and that they would pay. That required, in turn, taking you know the Arduino version of the technology and actually making early, fully wearable prototypes so that uh, these people could actually try it out in their daily life. And sort of in conjunction with all of that, it meant really investigating the science so we could tell a credible story. So that took three plus years until, you know, we basically had enough data to start to convince some angel investors to um, fund the actual production design. So it was in 2016 that we made this version of the product. Um, and even then, we, you know, we had raised probably half the amount of money we, we wanted to. Um, but it was as much as we could raise, given how far along we were. Uh, and even then, you finish the design, then you have to launch it. You know, you have to go to manufacturing. Um, that took a whole nother year. And, you know, even after you launch, then what? Like, you know, we kind of thought, okay, we're going to launch this product and sales are just going to go through the roof. It turns out there's a whole bunch of work you need to do to actually build a marketing infrastructure, to build out customer support, to, you know, continue to develop the product. So, um, you know, it's taken us an incredibly long time because there's just a huge amount of work that goes into it. And yeah. And it's one of those things that we never would have known. If you'd asked me in 2013, oh, you're still going to be doing this in 2021, I would have thought you were crazy. But now, you know, you look back at how much we've achieved and how much we've learned and you said, okay, it makes sense that it took this long. A hundred percent. I mean, your, your story rings true in, in so many cases that people don't realize. I mean, even like, you know, if I, if I only go to MIT and I win a prize and investors give me money and I win, it's like, no, that's, that's not the game. They'll you take your to, calls. Yeah. But yeah, they won't yeah, give you money. Yeah. Yeah, they'll, they'll string you out. We'll, we'll let you know. Um, but what you're talking is you're talking about stacking traction, right? Like you had some traction from the event, but you really need to get in people's hands. In order to get in people's hands, you need to take an evolutionary step. But then other people get them to, to try out the technology. You then needed to prove that it was a, that it was actually practical and usable. And then and, and go and then bring in the whole production side of things, uh, which is I don't know if you're dealing with China or any of those other types of stuff, um, but that is, you know one one mess up one wrong diode or one die that's 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 casted wrong or whatever that just ruins a whole batch you know and so there's there's all of that learning curves if you could if you could go back in and i'm not like there's nothing about regrets here but what what piece of knowledge do you think if you could go back and tell your younger self after you're looking at these this the seven years journey what advice would you give that uh bright-eyed beardless younger version of yourself um, coming into this? I think the biggest one is patience. Um, you know, when I was just starting, it was 21 or 22, I was like desperate for this to work overnight. And it's like, you know, already thinking about oh, What am I going to do after Ember? Or like, why hasn't this happened yet? You know, like now eight years in, I'm like, okay, you know, like this is going to work. I really think we're, we're on the cusp of some really exciting stuff, but I'm very, I know now that that's actually going to still take another two to three or four years. And I'm okay eight years in, I'm okay with another four years in a way like, you know, back then I was like, this really needs to happen overnight. So that's probably the biggest thing is just, you know, focus on the process and the next milestone. And mm. you don't need, you know, it doesn't, we're not a build, we're not a software company with networking effects like Instagram, that's going to be worth hundreds of millions of dollars in a hundred days after, you know, we're doing hardware, we're doing deep science, we're, you know, we're, we're doing cutting edge science, we're then applying it to develop 
brand new technology that's never existed. And then we're convincing people to pay for that hundreds of dollars of their hard earned money. Like all of those are hard and time consuming. And, you know, if we do it right, we think there's a really high growth business that, you know, really has a strong moats, but also has a really big impact on our customers, but that's going to take a while. It all takes time. And, and, and being at the bleeding edge is you bleed. You know, they said like the way, you know, pioneers is they have arrows in the back and they're laying on the floor. And so that's, that's one of the challenges of it. But you also, again, you, you carve a path and, and if you, if anybody tried to jump into the space that you're doing for, I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's patents or any of those other types of things, but there's also the, how long it would take for them to get where you are. There's that, that tech, all, all of the, everything that took you to build up to where you're at is, you know, it's, it's, um, you're stacking value and it just takes time and effort and energy. What, um, with, with that being said, and, and looking through what you've done going through this journey, what do you think is the most exciting use case for you, um, kn knowing this technology, uh, go say currently, like what, what currently is the thing that you think has the, you, you get you the most excited in terms of impact? Yeah, I, would say without hesitation that it is helping people who are experiencing hot flashes. So, you know, women with menopause is a market that's going to grow to 1.1 billion people. And if you talk to them and you really understand uh, the problem, you learn that they're having anywhere from seven to 40 hot flashes a day, each lasting for a couple minutes, that these last up to a decade in time. Um, they're incredibly disruptive for everything from sleep to wakefulness to, you know, you're giving a presentation. Um, right now, the sort of best, the existing solutions are, are hormone replacement therapies, so going on yet another pill, um, or to do kind of natural supplements, which just don't necessarily work. And what we've heard from these customers is that Ember Wave is nothing short of life changing. Um, and so when you look at kind of the magnitude of the impact you can have, the feedback from the population and those customers. Um, and, you know, the technology is just, you know, incredibly effective because a hot flash, it's a temperature problem in that you feel too warm. And mm -hmm. so cooling just feels good because when you're hot, cold things feel good, but it's actually more than a temperature problem because a hot flash is an overactivation of the sympathetic nervous system. So it's just like the perfect alignment because we're delivering value in that we're solving the root cause of that overactive nervous system. We're helping to balance that and in the hot flash, but we're also relieving the symptoms because your subjective experience is, ooh, this, some, this cold thing on my wrist feels really good. So when you say uh, overactive nervous system, and, and I mean, there's there could be multiple causes for an overactive nervous system. I mean, it could be psychological, it could be, it could be chemistry it could be there could be other elements going on to that I, I mean how do you how do you measure an overactive nervous system yeah there's a you know there's a number of ways to do it heart rate variability is sort of one of the most common today um mm. but you know for most of our customers they just measure it subjectively you say wow i feel a hot flash coming on or i feel a panic attack or i feel an anxiety attack and you're absolutely right to say that like you know in the case of a woman experiencing menopause it is the imbalance of, of hormones that is causing these hot flashes, but it can also just be stress. You know, like if you think about the last time you were in a, a near accident in your car and you felt that like rush of energy and heat kind of up back of your spine, that is, you know, another example of basically your nervous system going into fight or flight mode. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, I, I've, I've had like sensations of being hot before, but it was, it was more of like a psychological thing where I'm like, Oh, I'm getting too hot. Right. But there's just like stress and 
mm-hmm. all that fun stuff. I <clears throat> I didn't have one of those. I but they, you know they say you know cool down. So I was I was just curious about ways to measure it. Do you see? Is there any synergistic effects that you've seen using other types of immersive technologies or biofeedback devices that you've seen to have a, 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 a symbiotic relationship with your device? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so we did some work a couple years ago that was published with um, Draper Labs out here in Boston, mm-hmm. where we were showing that basically temperature plus sound or temperature plus sight ends up being basically a faster way to get someone's attention. Um, especially if you're in a very kind of uh, sensory intense environment. So if you're in, you know, a very crowded space, yelling to hear just, hey, Dylan, that's going to be hard to get your attention. But if you combine that with a thermal signal, then that's a great way. So, you know, we've always thought about that, that like, you know, there mm-hmm. can certainly be applications to something like VR or AR, but mm-hmm. we're really focused on this, this thermal wellness space right now, as we see that as where we can have the biggest uh, market impact. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, there's uh, an endless amount of roads you can go down, and it's so easy because I'm a developer. I I build VR experiences and so forth and so on. Um, so easy for someone to throw out a feature set like, hey, why don't you have an open API that allows me to plug into it? And and then there's a then you have a whole litany of issues that 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 come up. It's a couple of like you know six words out of my mouth, and uh, and it's, you know months of work for you is is. <laughs> Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think uh, it's fair. We learned early on it's very easy to share ideas in a meeting in a pitch, and but also that you know those ideas are not necessarily valued. Like we just talk about all the different things we could do with the technology, thinking that that made you know especially early on when we were fundraising, thinking that that made an investor more likely to cut a check when you know we would have been better off just saying we're going to do this one thing, and this one thing is enough to grow our revenue to a hundred million. Um, so I think it's something we've gotten better at but as you say there's always uh you know it's always it's you know words and ideas are free and then it's when you actually have to look at the personnel hours and the opportunity cost that's when things get real it's a it's a bandwidth problem and and you're right uh investors just want simple ideas that make lots of money that's if you over complex things get get them all scared and nervous so at least from, from what i've seen the uh so with with all this this, this um, technology you're doing and everything else, is there is there opportunities for you to like does is does AI play a factor at all? Because I know that I, whenever I think of these different types of you know um, buzzword acronyms, people always say, oh, biofeedback, AI, uh, VR, AI, blockchain, bitcoins. You know, there's like all those types of things. Is there a chance for a, does AI at all play a factor at this? Yeah, there's huge opportunities there. I would say, you know, broadly speaking, it's all about personalization in mm-hmm. terms of personalizing the actual temperature. You know, we talk a lot about things like predictive operation and how do we get to the point where the device is just turning on automatically because it knows when you're about to need it. And then, um, you know, on the insight side, right? Like how can you use AI to help you connect the dots to when you're using the product and what, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what you can learn from your usage data. Yeah. Yeah, that, make, that makes sense. Um, Want to shift the conversation here? One thing that I saw is that you were actually a national champion wrestler. Over is that correct? Yeah, I wrestling is a huge passion of mine. Yeah, is there a one thing I'm interested to to learn is this is more of a mindset question. It takes a certain type of mindset, especially with wrestling, 
to become a national champion. What are some mindset things that you learned from being a, a wrestler that aided you in your journey of Ember Labs and, 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 and doing all of that? Yeah, I think that the biggest thing I learned is the sort of what I, I call it, it's a bit of a paradox. Wrestling teaches you or taught me to uh, appreciate adversity and to appreciate and savor when things don't go well because of how it makes achieving your goals that much sweeter. So, you know, before I was a national champion, I lost in the finals the year before, and it was losing into the finals to the same person who beat me in the quarterfinals my freshman year. So <laughs> literally trained all year to beat this one person my sophomore year, and I lose to him again 5-4 in the, in, the, in the finals. It was not a fun experience, oh, no. but I knew, and I, from having similar tough losses in high school that when I won nationals the next year, it was going to feel that much better because of having lost. Um, mm -hmm. So it's really that mindset of saying, you know what, when things don't go well, I immediately know how to flip the switch to I'm feeling sorry for myself to say, okay, that happened. Let's learn the lesson so we don't do it again. But then let's also use that as fuel for the fire. Mm -hmm. Ex extracting the lesson and the emotion without letting it destruct you uh, yep. into a, a shame spy spiral and all that fun stuff. That's, sure. that's interesting. So then have you, have you continued to wrestle through this whole thing? It's funny. Like you don't want to mess. It's funny. You're like, Oh, I'm an engineer. I'm a geek. And then there's this whole other, you know, caveman S side that, that is wrestling. Um, uh, do you still continue to do that? Is this that? Yeah. Well, it's funny. It's definitely true that, um, you know, few folks in the wrestling community would self-identify as, you know, intellectuals um, mm -hmm. or scientists. Um, I, so wrestled in college, obviously, you know, MIT was an amazing place to wrestle because all of your teammates were, you know, nerds. We actually yeah. called ourselves the tough nerds, which is pretty funny. And we, when we did, uh, we actually got these singlets with basically all of these equations from all the different majors in the team on the singlets. It's pretty great. Uh, <laughs> but I, uh, so after I graduated, was not ready to be done with the sport. So I coached, uh, at MIT for, for three years, um, you know, really just to keep going, working with the team. Then basically things got too busy with Ember, so I couldn't coach full time, but try to help out where I can. Um, so even up until you know the pandemic was trying to go in and wrestle once or twice a week, I miss it a lot uh, during COVID and I'm looking forward to getting back on the mats. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I found it's just an incredible outlet. You know, I mean, when you're wrestling, you're not thinking about anything else and you're certainly not like, you know, struggling with calculations. It's, a, you know, we're, you know, you talk about paradoxes. I mean, we're not just a brain and we're not just a body. We're, you know, we're these different characters and then, and, and you can, you water one area and forget to water another part of your body. And, and it's really important. So that's why I, what I was really curious on was just the, the, there's gotta be it, starting any business. There's a certain amount of mental fortitude that you have to do. There's a certain thing that like there is, you will get kicked in the teeth. You will, things will go wrong. Your, your plans will not do what they want. And in that, that, and finding ways to either, grow and evolve your character as you as you grow and evolve the company is super critical and that's why i was like i was wondering how i mean you need that outlet like i mean if, if something doesn't work in the lab i imagine strangling somebody on the mat probably <laughs> probably is a good outlet to <laughs> to let it flow from you i was just i was wondering though the um tough nerds by the way i love that statement um 
what what like again along that you mentor people in that space are you mentoring people in the area of science as well is that something that you like to do is give back in that way shape and form or yeah i'm super passionate about science you know i think what's happened as ember has grown is it just it consumes more and more time but you know i think two years ago i was volunteering at a local school in cambridge kind of helping tutor kids in math and science which is a lot of fun and it's it's something i would like to do more of you know i was a ta in college and i find that mm -hmm. really rewarding and i think you know more kids would be interested in science and math if it was uh, taught in a more you know uh in a way that kind of acknowledged its applicability to the real world which yeah. Um, so have done it in the past, hoping to do more of it again. Um, you know, right now it's just, uh, things Ember has done, a, as startups do, it definitely eats into lots of other areas. Yeah, man, it becomes you. I mean, you're basically married to your co-founders minus any of the other side activities. So, uh, it's, it's a thing, uh, but also balance is good. And, you know, it's, it's great, passionate teachers could could literally change the world, right? Whether it's wrestling or it's science or you insert the thing, it, it is a shame when there's a uh, a teacher or a mentor who just doesn't care and who's just like read a book and just yeah. throw it, you know. I so, mean, the whole reason I'm here is because of passionate teachers and coaches, you know, both in high school who got me interested yeah. in science and technology and helped me realize that no, this isn't like this is not just a tech, you know, a math a textbook. This is literally the real world. Like what you're learning in chemistry class is you know how your car get the bus school bus is fueled you know and uh then the same thing in college and you know i mean in my freshman year of high school i was 87 pounds soaking wet um and yet you know i thought i could become a champion wrestler and you know my high school coach was this amazing guy who just totally made me believe that that was true and kind of said this is what you need to do to be successful and mm -hmm. you know just was supporting me behind the seats and behind the scenes in such a way that like it wasn't until years later that I sort of realized all the ways in which he helped me because he just did such a good job kind of being there where I needed but also doing everything else in sort of an invisible fashion so I just thought it was me um but yeah I completely I mean you know my whole life is it was uh it's teachers and, and coaches who have made the difference and you know, I think everyone who is successful and even people who aren't successful look back and say, hey, I can point to a specific person who, who kind of made me realize I have potential. That's so powerful. And uh, believing that you have potential is, is, I mean, such a key for, for getting over the hump of feeling like a fraud and things not working. Um, how do you, uh, every day is, is, is a struggle with a business, right? There's things you got to go in and do like that. And it does have wear and tear outside of like wrestling. Um, how do you, how do you get armor for the day? Um, I mean, do you have certain routines and patterns to, to keep mental resilience? Are there things that you do? Or like, what do you, how do you deal with the struggles and the strifes of, of, uh, having a startup? Yeah, um, I do have my routine, but I think first it's relationships. So, you know, I have an amazing girlfriend who I live with and, and love very much, and she's super supportive and have an incredible family and group of friends. So just have such a strong, you know, sort of social safety net of people who, mm -hmm. you know, love me and support me and feel like uh, I know I can confide in. Um, so that's a, just a really strong base. And then, you know, I figured out kind of what works for me over time. So I, I, you know, I'm, I really like to just start with tea in the morning. I've been actively journaling for 
uh, eight years now. So I journal almost every day um, and, you know, meditating on and off, but really have over the last year as things have gotten busy, I've kind of uh, been more serious in my practice. So I try to kind of make time for, for those things. Um, you know, the one I feel like I could always do more of is, is exercise. You know, wrestling is definitely my, my favorite way to work out. That hasn't been very possible during the pandemic. Um, so I've tried to experiment with other things, but, you know, I try to um, just create space by kind of having time in the morning where I'm not on my phone and I'm, you know, kind of just having a cup of tea and only having a cup of tea and then, you know, journaling um, and then, uh, you know, meditating. And, and that seems to work work pretty well. And then, you know, in the evenings really try to uh, try to, you know, be away from screens or be away from my computer at least um, and then try to be, be present with, with family and, uh, and friends and loved ones. Seems like a very healthy way to go about it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, not narcotic stimulants uh, to get through the day. The uh, that that phone creeping into your bed to get work done and answer emails. Uh, it's sneaky because it like it will it will come in and I'm not gonna look at my phone. And, but then like you're like oh I'm gonna I'm just gonna look at this one thing and then like you just you just just like like a slip and slide just whoop like right into the thing and then you don't don't get your morning. Oh. Yeah, I mean, like uh, like many folks, I saw it, watched the you know the social dilemma when it came out on Netflix, and you kind of really appreciated the dollars and brain power invested in getting you to use this tool, and you know you sort of realize okay, it's using you or you're using it, and you know there's so much money at stake to get you to use it, and so I'm not great at it, but I try to be mindful of my screen time and of, you know, trying not to, uh, you know, kind of uh, have my phone in, in bed or anything like that and to make sure I'm sort of putting it down at a reasonable hour. But it's, you know, it's it's challenging. And I mean, it's certainly being in a startup, there's always, you can always check your email. There's always a chance there's another email coming in or, you know, there's always things you could do. And so you really have to figure out how to create those boundaries and know when to, when to step away. Yeah, that's a big challenge. Figuring out uh, creating those boundaries without them being slippery slopes is, 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 is a, is a brutal challenge on the, on the path of entrepreneurship because you, you so desperately want to build a great company. You want to put in this time, you want to, you, it's like you're giving birth to this baby over time and it, it just takes nine months to nine months. It takes seven years or less to, to be able to grow it. So it's, it's, it's a challenge. What, um, do you have like in terms of material science, are there people that you have as mentors or, or people that are doing amazing work that get you excited about the about the material, material science technologies? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, you know, not super up to date on the field, but I think it's fascinating. Uh, you know, areas of material science, I think are particularly exciting. Um, you know, so cold, clean tech, like, you know, if you look at it, the reason there's been such a surge in solar panels and uh, you know batteries, that's because of the work material scientists, among others, are doing. Um, you know, in computational modeling, so the ability to simulate how a material will behave um, and use that to inform design, that's becoming incredibly powerful as we've gotten more more tools and more computational resources. And then biomaterials, I think, are just endlessly fascinating. I mean, if you think about you know, nature is the greatest material scientist and engineer we've ever met. You know, like uh, you look at like a building is made of steel, right? If the steel breaks, it breaks. A, a person is made of bone. If the bone breaks, it heals itself, right? And that's just one example. You know, a plant is basically a solar power panel that is even more efficient. So there's just tons and tons of examples of all the different 
types of materials nature can make from, you know, underwater materials to, uh, you know, to like incredibly extreme climates. And there's just great work being done there about how we can learn from those designs. That's super interesting. Uh, wetware, uh, using, uh, making your own types of, I, I didn't even think about that. Has, is there technologies like, like CRISPR play a part in terms of this, where you can kind of gene splice out certain elements and be able to construct and, and build some sort of materials that that are um, biomaterials and things like that. Yeah, I mean, I can't claim to be an expert on that, but from what I do understand, you know, what CRISPR is powerful in that it can do is it can basically give instructions for um, basically making proteins, right? Like if you think about an it's like the mRNA vaccine is another analog. Like ultimately, an antibody is a material, right? It is because a material is just basically uh, matter. You know, substance made of matter, and it's it's a micro material or it's a nano material. But what's powerful about something like CRISPR is you, if you know the exact sequence of a protein, if you know all the amino acids, you can basically instruct a cell using CRISPR to make that protein for you. And if you can get that protein to do something useful, whether it's protect you from a virus or mm. uh, you know break down CO two or whatever it is. Um, you know, that becomes an incredibly powerful tool. Wow. Yeah, it literally, you know, becoming gods in the way of shape and form. You're, you're, you're creating life. You are, lack of a better term. I'm, again, I'm not an expert in the space. Mine's more virtual reality. So this is more of a passive observer in the, in the technologies. But being able to splice together and, and, and create elements and, you know, bring over, like, sections of a genome from one area so that all of a sudden your, I don't know, your tomato becomes, you know, camouflage so that you can hide your tomatoes better as a poor example. Uh, but there's, it's, it's very, it's very, very fascinating. Um, in, in terms of thermal wellness is, you, you know, what, what do you see as what's the future of your company? What do you, what do you, what is your ultimate, like, holy grail searching, looking to make this into do you, do you have a, a, a deep vision for what you want uh, Ember Labs to be, whether it's uh, wetware or not? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we imagine a world where technology and sensory data and the human experience kind of work together to help people live better lives. You know, there's a lot of technology that has not in that is kind of inhibiting well-being instead of enhancing. And we really believe that, you know, we're technology optimists, but it has to be designed that way. And our mission is to develop the technology to bring thermal wellness to the world. And we think temperature is such a powerful vector for this because of how foundational it is and because it really connects three disparate elements. It's your environment, it's your mind, and it's your body. It's how do my surroundings and literally the temperature impact how I feel both physically and also emotionally? It's how does my emotional state impact, you know, my perception of my surroundings and it's how do I feel physically? You know, so Ember is actually an acronym for environment, mind, body, resonance. So that's really our vision is this oh. idea that these things can work together in harmony. And if we believe that if we can make that happen and then, you know, people's well-being will be uh, enhanced or people will thrive. Oh, it's awesome. I never knew that. Environmental mind-body resonance. Is that what you said? Uh, environment. So not, not no tool, but environment, oh, mind, body, resonance. 
environment mind body resonance that's super cool and you're using you're using uh the thermal means to kind of create that equilibrium between those those elements wow yeah. wow so great and so okay with that with that being said um it is there anything else because i know you i know you have a hard stop here so i want to give you time to get to the other meeting um is there anything else you want to let people know about before you can before uh you tell them how they can find you and the, the wave you know i think what really excites me is the idea of a shift in really people's perception of temperature because most people right now they think of it as it's a problem to neutral right it's like a temperature i think about most people think about it when there's something wrong right that's sort of best case scenario you don't think about it occasionally you're like oh i could really a hot tub would be great right now and that's kind of the closest people get to this idea of oh temperature can really be something positive it can be a solution and you know the thing that's really obsessed us for this past eight years is the idea that temperature is a solution to so many problems. It's a solution that you can use in everyday life, and you don't need to wear our product. You know, we developed an Ember Wave because we think it's a really great way to use temperature as a solution. But even just bringing a little more mindfulness to your shower in the morning, you know, what temperature do you like it? Do you notice when you turn the dial up? That's actually not because the temperature of the water has changed. It's because your perception of how hot that water temperature feels has changed. Um, you know, are you reheating your cup of coffee because it's too cold? So there's all these little elements of where you're using temperature to change the way you feel. And I would just invite people to bring a little more mindfulness to that because that's that's all thermal wellness is in a general sense. It's using temperature to help your well-being. And what we've just done is invent what we think is a really powerful tool to let people do that. Awesome. But the mission is bigger than our company. Great. And if people wanted to find out more about what you do and get a hold of you and, and learn about your product? Yeah, so Ember Labs is the company, E-M-B-R-L-A-B-S, online and on all social. Um, that's probably the best way. I myself am not too active on, on social media, but I mean, I do have Twitter a Twitter account that I, I very rarely use, but uh, I will probably uh, you know be retweeting some company announcements in the next... Uh, in the next uh, month or so. So stay tuned for that. And uh, yeah, really appreciate uh, you having me, Dylan. It's been really fun. Of course, Sam, I appreciate your time. Thank you uh, uh, for dealing with the technical difficulties in the beginning. Very much appreciated. And, uh, and, I, and I look forward to hearing more about Ember Labs and everything you're up to later on. So thank you so much for your time, brother. Anytime, take care. <laughs> take care now, I'll see you later. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Heroes of Reality podcast. Check out heroesofreality.com for more episodes. While you're there, you can also take the Heroes Quiz to find out what kind of hero you are. Or, if you have a great story and want to be on the podcast, tell us why your hero's journey will inspire others. Thank you for listening. See you on the other side.